G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, we're returning to some update information and insight about the coronation of King Charles III and Queen Camilla today, the depth of meaning in the symbols, the anointing and the communion service it would have been a shock to some who are not accustomed to the Church of England. Well, David Robertson is director of the Ask Project with Sydney Anglicans. He's back with us. Hey, David, welcome back to 2020. It's good to be back with you and even more delighted to be back in the same day that KP Johanan is on this. Uh, I've only read I've only read one of his 200 books, but it was very, very good. And and he's kind of a, a hero of the Christian faith for me. So that's great. You know, I think he is about to be uh, a hero to lots more of our listeners when they hear the conversation today. And uh, the conversation's yeah. not going to be so much about KP although we'll make it a little bit about him, but he's going to be talking about his good friend, George Verwer, who you'd be very familiar with too, David, and uh, looking forward to that conversation. It's going to be fabulous. But let's get our focus on the coronation. Um, It might have been difficult for some to appreciate. I'm not sure whether everyone tuning in would have thought it was going to be like a church service. Uh, What did you think of it? Um, I lasted until the crowning of queen camilla and then i couldn't stand it anymore and i left it so um, (laughs) that that was i mean the look there's nobody does pageantry like the british so you know all that kind of stuff if if you like it and i do like it actually was quite wonderful and people did the celebrity spotting at the beginning you know who's that who's that and uh, it was so fun to see Nick Cave sitting on his own in Westminster Abbey. Uh, I just thought, there's one Aussie I never expected to see at the coronation, but that was brilliant. Um, but there were aspects of it that were excellent. There were aspects of it that, for me that were profoundly disturbing. And overall, I came away with the impression that this was more significant than we realised because I think this was the Queen's funeral part two. And I suspect we'll never see a coronation like that again, um, unless Will and Kate take over fairly soon. But I suspect that is that's the end. I know listeners can hear your uh, Scott accent, and uh, I'm just reflecting. I think from an earlier conversation, you've not necessarily been uh, a diehard fan of the monarchy. Uh, does that colour your impressions? Um. I think that what's going on in the Western world and the gospel colours my impressions more. My personal political views are largely irrelevant here. I, I'm not a royalist, but I love the Queen. And I think the death of the Queen uh, was the ending of the glue that keeps Britain together. Uh, I must admit, I would be surprised if in my lifetime, Australia does not become a republic. Um, I, sus- I suspect that that will happen for better or for worse. I, I have to say that I'm fairly indifferent personally to uh, whether we have a king or not. Uh, I, I'm I'm with, you know, the Lord saying to Samuel, if you have a king, this is what's going to happen, saying to the Israelites, if you have a king, this is what's going to happen. 
and it wasn't good. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not sure in the modern world what the replacement would be, an elected head of state. Uh, I'm not sure that that works better for me either. So, so politically, I'm not that bothered. I think what concerned me more was the theological stuff that was going on. Okay, well, a lot of us will have been reading into the symbolism of what was going on, and there was lots of symbolism. And uh, Mm -hmm. relating that back to uh, Old Testament tradition uh, and wonderful biblical uh, symbolism around, you know, the the authority of a king, uh, what were the negatives for you? What can we identify? Oh, the hypocrisy. Uh, That for me, uh, so how will I put it? The lyrics were superb. Um, The the music I thought was superb. The, the, you know, Cranmerian liturgy is wonderful. It's biblical. The reading of the scriptures was wonderful. Um, I thought the sermon was a missed opportunity. Um, And I thought that, you know, promising to be faithful to God's word and you know these is law and to uphold the Protestant reformed religion as he did very serious vows before God and yet you know I, I can't help but think that Prince Charles took vows in terms of his marriage and more or less broke them immediately and that we were you know in the 1930s of course King Edward abdicated his throne because he wanted to marry a divorcee and now we have a situation where the Church of England changed its rules. And so that Prince Charles uh, could marry, you know, basically somebody whose marriage he had helped break up as well. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that. But at the end of the day, it, I just I, I found that really, really sad. That, that was one aspect of it that really bothered me. And then the question of whether the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Church of Scotland... Uh, actually believe what they said about the Bible and what was in the vows about the Bible because in their actions they have denied it. So to give you just one example, um, again back to marriage, the Archbishop's Commission has just put out a report that's saying celibacy is not necessary if you're single. Now you cannot imagine something that goes more clearly against the teaching of Scripture. So for me it was the hypocrisy that really got to me. So hypocrisy, and when you're relatively close to, as you've grown up with around Mm -hmm. the monarchy, in that sense of uh, very prominent, uh, no doubt in your own development, uh, the identifying of those those issues, those negatives that we could say are uh, hypocritical, is there room, though, to be gracious and say, when there is such a global statement that's being made by the Church of England, that this may actually be a statement of truth uh, with an aspiration for wherever the Church of England might might be right now in a deterioration of their values, that these are the things that they are actually rising to, uh, or you don't believe any of that? No, I don't believe any of it. I, I, it's what I call um, royal wedding syndrome that evangelical Christians get, because uh, at the time of the wedding of Meghan and Harry, I, I don't I lost count of how many Christians were really excited at what they thought was a great gospel sermon, which I didn't think was. And they thought it would have this enormous impact. I don't think it had any impact whatsoever. Uh, and I think it's exactly the same with this. The more significant factor is that less than two weeks ago, 
85% of the world's Anglicans meeting together in, or their representatives meeting together in Rwanda, decided to break from the Archbishop of Canterbury because of the way that the Archbishop and the Church of England has moved away from Scripture. And that's the bigger story in terms of the gospel. It, having somebody stand up and, and read these wonderful words and then negate them by their actions, I, I, I think that's um, profoundly, for me, it was profoundly disturbing. Um, I'll, I'll give you just another example. There was a caveat put in at the beginning saying, well, he's, you know, respect all faiths and so on which respecting faiths is one thing, having freedom of religion is one thing, but treating all faiths as equal is another, and it's the precise opposite of the faith he's, he's vowing to uphold, which was the Protestant Reformed faith, which, which I mean, if you want to argue for biblical Christianity, um, then I just don't think that that's what was being done and that's what was happening. And if anything, I think the pomp and ceremony may have put people off. You know, I imagine, let, let me try this one on you. I, I mean, this is just a, sure. a, a thought game. Imagine if John the Baptist had been giving the sermon. And you know the story how he told King Herod off about his adultery and he ended up losing his head. Yep. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure the Archbishop of Canterbury couldn't have done that. But I, I do think that um, it just, to me, it, it just felt really false, really beautiful in some ways. And... You know, I'm praying, for example, Rishi Sunak, the Hindu prime minister. This is another amazing one. I thought this was fabulous. He's reading Colossians 1 about Jesus being the only God and Jesus being the supreme creator and Jesus being all. And he's a Hindu who believes there's millions of gods. He has a he has a statue of the god Ganesh on his on his table. Now, either he didn't know what he was reading or he didn't understand what he was reading or he was being completely hypocritical. Um, I don't think he was being completely hypocritical. I think he comes across as very sincere to me, but I, could, well, I can't judge anyone's heart. So I just thought, you haven't a clue what you're reading. You've just read a scripture which says that Hinduism is completely wrong. <laughs> I was just, wow, <laughs> you know. Well, isn't it interesting because in often liturgical services where people are participating, they're given the script to read. So I suspect he yeah. was given the script and said, if you want to participate in this service, uh, you read these words. Uh, and as you say, the likelihood is uh, he would not have personally been endorsing those words, even though he's saying them, I guess, from a political standpoint. Let me just take you yeah. uh, just uh, just take a step back here for a moment, because a lot of the hypocrisy uh, you're identifying comes around uh, the marriage to Camilla. Uh, I remember yeah. a conversation uh, where someone revealed that before the marriage was allowed, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, I'm not even sure which one it was at the time when they did marry. Uh, it might have been uh, Rowan, uh, what's his name? Rowan Williams. <laughs> Rowan Williams. It'd be Ro yeah, I think it was Rowan Williams. Okay, yeah. well, so apparently there was a significant time of going through a process of repentance around uh, issues of former marriages. And yeah. so as Christian believers, are we gracious enough to expect that when there is a repentance process that someone humbles themselves to go through and uh, lets all the dirty laundry perhaps be aired, uh, that that actually might be a repentance before God that somehow or other we could be holding something against them for uh, for too long uh, when those things ought to be resolved? Is there graciousness in our faith that says 
if they have truly repented from those things, uh, is there a opportunity for them to have a fresh start because there was no other real option. It was going to be Charles King and he had a queen. And so how do you see things like that? Oh, no, there's there's definitely another option. So, for example, the queen made it known a letter just before she died that she would have liked Camilla to have been queen consort, um, which is it, it is different. Um, the, the question of repentance, we don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've actually never heard Charles express repentance for what he did. Um, and so I, I couldn't make any comment on that because I don't know. And again, we don't know people's hearts. And, you know, I have married people who, uh, you know, they've gone, they, they've been adulterous or whatever, and their marriage is broken up. And then later on, they've become believers and they've been repentant for what they did and so on. That's not an issue for me. Uh, true repentance would have been uh, acknowledging the sin. But the trouble is when you acknowledge your sin, you realize there are consequences. And in my view, true repentance would have meant King Charles saying, I, I'm going to be like King Edward. I am going to marry Camilla, uh, but I'm not going to become king. I'm going to hand it on to my son, uh, you know, uh, William and Kate. Uh, and that for me would have been an, an indication of, of real repentance. I, I think the fact that the Church of England changed its doctrine to accommodate the the supreme governor of the church, if you want to put it that way, which is what he's become. I just can't get my head around that. That, that, that for me, is the real problem. They wouldn't have done it for an ordinary person. Um, looking for perfection, though, uh, if you were looking for perfection, perhaps you wouldn't find it. And uh, it may be that the media going digging into William's past uh, might find a few things that might be objectionable. I'm not saying I don't know anything at all, but... When you have someone who is the king, the supreme governor, the defender of the faith, uh, isn't there a sense in which, just like the archbishop, there's something special about the office, uh, although the person wearing the robes is likely to have some issues in their background? Is there something in the office of king uh, which actually does, you know, is bigger than the, the imperfections of the individual? Oh Neil, you're going to get me in so much trouble. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be allowed back into the. It's the. It's the United Kingdom. I mean, I'm a. You know, there's 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 been three King Charles. King Charles the uh, first, Cromwell chopped his head off, uh, and I have to say, I'm a Cromwellian. Um, and uh, King King Charles the uh, second lied about coming back to the throne, was installed uh, by a Scottish general and then ended up persecuting the Scottish Covenanters. So I didn't have much time for him. Uh, King Charles III, I, I hope and I pray for him, and I hope and pray it's a lot better. But the one thing I will never allow is, uh, he's not the governor of the church. He's not the head of the church. He never will be. Jesus is the only one who's the governor and head of the church. So uh, that office, I don't accept. The office of king, I accept in the sense of it's a constitutional thing, both in Australia uh, and in the United Kingdom. As long as it remains so, it is my responsibility as a Christian to honour the king, and I will do so. But uh, I don't think that that justifies um, hypocrisy. And, and, and no one's demanding per perfection. I mean, none of us would have a job if we were supposed to be perfect. But in terms of uh, it's the saying that you're head of the church, or, or even a Christian, a degree of repentance is is as you pointed out absolutely essential and i just thought that was missing it's almost as though there was nothing to repent of in fact we were told that 
what brings the world together is kind of saving the planet, all faiths being the same, and serving in the military or hospitals or whatever. And these may be all very good civic duties, but that's not the gospel, and it's not the religion that he was promising to defend. I think we can all agree that when we talk kingship, uh, ultimately we have King Jesus. And yeah. as you say, any alternative human king uh, comes with all of the baggage and all of the negatives and all of the things that you'll expect uh, so far as oppression that we can learn about from the Old Testament. Just uh, I hope we can end on a, on a high note here uh, yeah. because uh, because it's a, it has been a, a negative conversation. Uh, one of the things that was outstanding for me, and I've mentioned this a time or two, the overwhelming focus on the servanthood of the king. And yeah. perhaps there's hypocrisy in there at all as well, but, of course, there is the promise uh, that he's going to serve. Uh, I wondered whether that might be a throwback uh, to the signing of the Magna Carta about 800 years ago. It brought the king under the rule of law and therefore under the rule of God. Uh, I wonder if you've got any thoughts about, you know, the, the very fact that you've got these vows being made, which are very important and actually very political and actually a symbol perhaps to the entire Commonwealth, uh, you know, uh, all the realms, that this is what leadership is. It's servanthood under the rule of God ultimately, but under the rule of law. Yeah, you see, I, I have a different perspective in that I don't think the conversation is negative at all, because I think that my faith and trust, so the Psalms say, don't trust in princes in whom there is no stay, you know, trust in God, trust in Christ. And I think that's where I'm coming from. And I think the the, the queen, the previous queen, um, knew that and accepted that. I think Ch Charles is absolutely genuine in, what, in wanting to serve people. I just don't think that we are going to, to have the freedom that Christianity brought about in the United Kingdom if it continues. So, so one of the writers in, uh, I think it may have been The Spectator, uh, was pointing out that it's very strange, and it was unheard, that it was strange to have a king taking these vows in a country where people can now be arrested for expressing Christian viewpoints. And if, Prince, if King Charles is going to defend the faith, he needs to defend the freedom. And it's great that you bring up the Magna Carta because the Magna Carta is precisely about that. So I think there are key issues here, not personally with King Charles, but there are issues with how we're governed. There are issues with the role of Christianity. And the danger is we end up with a Christianity that's just state symbolism, where one of the wealthiest people in the world talks about following the poor Christ. And people don't see there's any contradiction there. And I do. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be wealthy, but I'm saying we need to be very, very careful to say, put us in the same category as Christ. But also, I just think for those of us who are Christians and we watch this and, well, you know, you can be a royalist or you could be a Republican or you couldn't care less. You could be in between. But please don't despair if you're a Christian, because there is one who sits on the throne. And perhaps one of the great symbols of the coronation is the orb, which is meant to be the globe under the cross. And for us, everything is under the cross. And I think that, um, you know, we should be encouraged by that. So I wasn't despondent at that. I just felt sad. I felt like I was witnessing the end of an era. And I don't know what's going to come. But I do know that whatever comes, Christ is still the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, David Robertson, uh, a great conversation because uh, wonderful to get into a little bit of critique 
and not just go along with the, you know, perhaps the feeling that all have around the good feeling of the coronation, but to take things a little deeper and say, uh, this is a critique here because uh, I smell a little bit of hypocrisy, uh, but uh, great insights as always, David Robertson. And uh, time's run out for us today, but uh, Director of the Ask Project with Sydney Anglicans, And uh, ask.org.au is the website. Uh, You can connect with David Robertson. He also writes for newspapers, magazines. He's the author of a number of books. And uh, you should take the opportunity to ask a question. Perhaps you want to connect with David today, even challenge him on some of the points that he's made. Ask.org.au. David, thanks so much for a great update today on 2020. Great to be with you. And yeah, your listeners, please feel free to contact me and feel free to disagree. I'm not infallible. (laughs) Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.